Our reading this morning is from Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 to 14, and it's found on page 1180 in the Church Bible. Philippians chapter 3. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, and to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold for that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Ruth. Good morning, everybody. And uh, let me add my own welcome to that which uh, Neil has already given. My name is Adam. Uh, I've got some very helpful people who I think are going to hand out something for you this morning as we, uh, before we get going. And as they're handing those out to you, I thought I'd introduce you to Zephaniah. This is Zephaniah, born just over a week ago. Thank you so much for your prayers. Uh, I think he's the youngest member of the church, so I'm doing my part in growing the church, um, one, one person at a time. Uh, so that's all good. Uh, I've taken the decision this week not to do a PowerPoint, but to print some notes for you. So that's what Devita and Charlie uh, just had handing around for you so you can uh, see how long I've got left um, before we're finished and also hopefully take home and reflect on these uh, during the week. Uh, just as they do that, I'm going to hand up and I back and uh, I will pray for us. Let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the ways in which it speaks to us in different seasons of life. And we thank you for your living word, alive and active in us. Lord, as we come before your written word together this morning, I pray a release of your Holy Spirit amongst us. I pray that we would know 
your power and your presence in this place. And that you would lift our eyes to you. Come, Lord Jesus, and meet us wherever it is we've come from to be here this morning. Fill us with your spirit and point us to you. In Jesus' name, amen. I wonder if I could start by asking you a question this morning. What are you expecting uh, at the moment? What are your expectation levels? What are your expectation levels being here in church this morning? What are you expecting to happen over the next uh, uh, two hours or so as I speak to you? Don't worry, that was a joke. Uh, that's all right, over the next 15 or 20 minutes or so. What are you expecting to happen in the world at the moment? What are you expecting to happen in your lives? Unusually, I'm going to start with a little bit of a confession this morning, because this isn't, in fact, the sermon that I intended uh, to speak to you on. Uh, planning rotors around uh, the birth of a newborn uh, when there is at least a four-week window in which they could arrive, and some of you will have experience of them not complying to the NHS's four-week window, is pretty hard, because it's not possible for me to just remove myself completely from the rotors, um, nor is it really fair of me to ask somebody to step in necessarily to preach at the last minute. And so, I chose to speak this morning for two reasons. One, because it's a few days after the point at which the NHS would normally allow uh, someone to carry a baby. Uh, and so we could be fairly certain that Zeph and I would have been in the world by today, even if only for a couple of days. And two, and truthfully, because I have spoken on this passage and this topic before. And I don't normally do this, uh, but I thought to myself, it was a really good past preach. I can just use that uh, again. Uh, and it was a really good preach. I'm not being uh, arrogant, I don't think, because it's all relevant. Uh, I, I think it's probably one of the best preaches I did when my time as curate at St. Paul's. And I thought, it's a great preach, I'll do that. But all of this week, I have really struggled and wrestled with what it is that God wanted me to say this morning. And as he often does, he's hit me square between the eyes with the main point that I think he has for us this morning. Because you see, in order for us to move forward with Jesus, we need to be prepared to let go of our past. In order to move forward with Jesus, we need to let, be prepared to let go of our past. That is perhaps a good sermon. I've probably oversold it. Uh, if you're struggling to sleep, you can probably find it on, on their website. But it wasn't what God has for us today. If we don't allow ourselves to let go of our past, we may not be allowing him to speak into our present or indeed to direct our future. Paul tells us to let go, doesn't he? The first verse of our passage, whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of knowing Christ, for the sake of Christ. And Paul terms this in, in reference to his past glories, his past successes. Earlier in uh, the Philippians passage, verse 4, he says, if someone else thinks that they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, 
I have got more. If someone else thinks they have reason to put confidence in the flesh, I have got more. It's a bit of an arrogant statement perhaps, but it's maybe also true. Paul had all sorts of reasons to place confidence in all of his previous achievements, in all of the things that he had done in the past. I wonder if we are in the habit of relying on our past successes. When we meet somebody for the first time, how do we define ourselves? Is it by what we do or what we did in our work? Is it about our family or our relationships, perhaps, if we have them? Maybe it's our country or our town of origin. Many of you uh, know that uh, I applied to be the vicar of this church twice and wasn't shortlisted through no fault of the people here uh, the first time round. And when uh, they didn't appoint the first time around, Graham from CPAS rang me to tell me they hadn't appo- you hadn't appointed, to tell me that I'd be welcome to apply again and to give me some feedback on my application. Always gratefully received feedback. And um, he said, Adam, the main reason why you weren't shortlisted is because you didn't show that you had enough leadership potential, enough leadership ability uh, in your application. And I'd love to say I put the phone down to Graham and humbly accepted his words and went away for several days of prayer and fasting over the things that he had shared with me. No, I put the phone down and actually was quite annoyed. Uh, And uh, the first thing I did was write a new letter of application, which could be probably summed up with the words, don't you know who I am? Because the Lord has been gracious to me in the past. Even in the 36 years I've been alive on this planet, I have had some particularly good experiences of leading various places. And I felt the best way to respond to this feedback was to list all of the reasons why I deserved to be the vicar of St. Jude's. That application letter didn't see the light of day. I still have it. I read it a couple of days ago, in fact, to horrify myself and slightly amuse myself. It didn't come to the light of day because the Lord, in his graciousness, as he often does, spoke to me and said, Adam, in that letter of application, what you're doing is pointing everybody to St. Jude's and saying that St. Jude's is the pearl of great price. St. Jude's is the ultimate prize. Aren't I worthy of this prize? And Jesus said, St. Jude's is not the pearl of great price. I am. Look to me. Look to me. I don't think I'm your vicar because of any successes, as limited as they may be, that I may have had in the past. I think I'm your vicar because the Lord called me to be your vicar. And graciously, he continued to speak to those who were on the panel when I was appointed. Now, don't get me wrong. God loves all of the things that we have achieved, especially the things that we have achieved for him. All of the things that we have done well, all of the successes that we have, he loves. But he is far more interested in our hearts. Remember, Samuel anointing David. God says to Samuel, people look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. In order to move forward in our discipleship of Jesus, we need to let go of our past glories, our past strengths, and focus entirely on Jesus and on our heart for him. 
We also need to let go of our past pains. And Paul doesn't really go into this in this passage, so I'm not going to spend a great deal of time on it. But broadly speaking, the pain that we experience in our lives is in three camps. There's the stuff that we do, the sin that we have in our lives, the stuff that is done to us, the hurt that we experience by other people hurting us, and then the stuff that just happens, global pandemics for which no one is to blame. Each of those have biblical ways of dealing with them, and we'll think a bit about forgiveness in two or three weeks' time. But we need to deal with our past. Otherwise, we'll bring it into our present, hoping for a new future. If we don't let go of our past, it is in danger of limiting our future. Why? And I've said this before at Living Free, for those of you who have done this with us. Because memory can be the enemy of our faith. Our past pains can stop us from moving forward. It will stop us perhaps from trusting. If I do that, then I'm going to get hurt again. So I can't possibly do that. Our past successes may stop us from being able to see beyond. We need to do it this way because this is the way that we always do it. Or... We've tried that and it didn't work. This is the way we've always done it, or we've tried that and it didn't work. Two phrases I'm going to try and ban uh, from the life of the church. Because just because God hasn't done it that way in the past, doesn't mean that he won't do it that way in the future. And if we hold on to our past successes and what he's done in the past, we may well find ourselves limited by it. In the center of your notes, you'll see a picture of an elephant tied to a stake in the ground. I use this, again, as part of the living free teaching that we do. And because when elephants are in the circus, uh, they are attached as baby elephants with big chains to massive steel girders concreted into the ground. And they pull and they pull and they pull as hard as they possibly can in order to escape. And eventually they learn that pulling is futile. So much so that when they're adults, they can be attached with a relatively small rope to a small stake in the ground. Because as soon as they feel that resistance, they stop. Our past, our past memories can be, not necessarily always are, but can be an enemy to our faith. However great or however bad our past is, Paul is telling us we should leave it behind. And that's not just for us individually, I think that's for us as a church as well. As I was praying through this morning, these words from Haggai came to me afresh. You know them well, I'm sure. The Lord says, I will shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake the nations. And then a little later, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts. And in this place, I will provide peace. I think some of us, most of us perhaps, feel a bit shaken at the moment. We need to be not limited by what God has done in the past. To not set our expectations on what God has done in the past. But to count that as loss. And once we've let go, Paul tells us that we need to be renewed uh, verses 8 and 9, that I may gain Christ and be found in 
him. As we move forward in this discipleship journey over these uh, three months that we're considering discipleship this term, how are we doing? Where have we got to on our discipleship journey? About four weeks ago, I stood here and shared with you some different ways you might like to grow in your own discipleship of Jesus. I gave out these uh, quiet time guides uh, to you. There are some in the foyer. If you didn't get them, there'll be more over Lent uh, as well. They'll come out in a week's, uh, two weeks' time. What happened to them? Did they end up in the toilet and then eventually in the bin? Or have they, or have we gone deeper in our relationship with Jesus, continued to be renewed? Paul tells the Romans, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That be transformed, you'll know, is a continuous article. It is a thing that we have to continually, continually, continually do. We've just come to the end of uh, our monthly 24 hours of prayer here at church. Uh, And uh, if you don't know about that, and I really encourage you to be involved in the one that we have uh, next month. It begins at nine o'clock with a prayer breakfast on Zoom. Uh, We also have a monthly prayer gathering. We had that on Monday evening, usually on a Monday, uh, at the beginning of each term on a Wednesday. And on uh, Saturday uh, morning, yesterday morning, uh, I was in the building praying with some friends, sat on the sofa at the back there. And I could see right away along the back of the church into the garden room. And in the garden room, there was an event happening uh, with various crafts and things being uh, changed and exchanged and all sorts of things. And as I could look through the glass doors into the garden room, I saw some ladies who were looking at various patches of fabric, uh, looking for a particular patch of fabric. And as I looked at them doing that, I sensed the Lord speak to me through it. Because there are times, I think, when we do that. We look for patches to cover over different things in our lives. And yet Jesus came that we might have a new life. I have come that you might have life and have it uh, in abundance, he says in John 10.10. Not to patch over little things, but to be refilled with a new life of his Holy Spirit. Are we searching for that? Are we desperately wanting and expecting to be filled with his Holy Spirit? Or are we looking for a patch to keep us going to the next week? Once we've been renewed, once we've been filled, Paul tells us to press on forward. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining for what is ahead, I press on towards the prize for which God has called me, heavenward in Christ Jesus. I wonder where you stand on the whole glass half full, glass half empty argument. Are you the pessimist or are you the optimist in that? Or maybe the opportunist or the realist, all sorts of amusing ones come out, uh, don't they? I saw a picture the other day that said that the glass is actually full regardless of the way you look at it because it's half full of water and half full of air. And I quite liked that. I have a theory And that is that as followers of Christ, at least in terms of the kingdom of God, we are called to be optimists. We're called to be optimistic. But as we come out of this pandemic, what are we expecting? How is our hope? How optimistic are we feeling of what God will do in us and in his church? 
probably my favorite verse of scripture is Psalm 27, verse 13. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. That verse has sustained me through good times and through bad times. We're not to live in our past. We're to be filled and to look forward to what it is he is going to do next. And we might not know what it is that Jesus is going to do next. I certainly don't know what it is. And that might be terrifying to some of us. But I am assured that we will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Now, is an important truth here that Paul recognizes in these verses and that all of us must do, that we aren't there yet. We are continually, remember the Roman verse, we're to continue striving. It's a continuous article, but we are to keep striving, to keep pushing forward, not to stop. As Joyce Mayer once said, I'm not where I want to be, but I thank the Lord I'm not where I was. I'm not where I want to be, but I thank the Lord I'm not where I was. This week on uh, Wednesday, I'll be conducting the funeral for a dear friend of Jess and mine. Uh, She uh, was 78. She passed away just about a week ago. She's one of our daughter Ellie's godparents. Uh, And until just over two years ago, uh, she would be found every single summer, uh, firstly in a field in Shepton Mallet uh, for four weeks, and then in uh, Peterborough, cooking for 50 or 60 people every single day with a very tiny gas stove in her late 70s. Uh, She was diagnosed with cancer a couple of years ago and lost the use of her left arm. And her immediate question in response to that was, okay, God, I can't do what I used to do. What have you got for me now? What are you calling me to do now? Adrian Plass, uh, a Christian author, says that Christians should die in this position. And if you're listening to the tape, I'm sort of walking forwards, moving forwards. We should be dying, striving towards, as Paul puts it. Val did, and she will forever be an inspiration to me, as many of you are as well. We need to let go of what is in the past, to be filled with his Holy Spirit, and to strive forward, optimistic and excited for all that he is going to do in us and through us. I wonder if you will stand with me as we pray together. In a few minutes, we're going to sing a song which may be new to some of you. Um, It's a song which calls us, calls on Jesus to bring alive all that he is doing in and through us. It declares prophetically what God wants this place to be. But before we do that, let's, in the quiet, think for a moment of the things that we need to let go of. Do we need to stop living in our past glories? Perhaps in our past pains. Maybe there's work that we need to do around forgiveness, around lament, around healing, around repentance. 
Maybe we need to stop looking to the glory days, the days of old, to stop being limited by what God has done, but to be expectant of what God will do. I wonder if for you, you recognize, if you're stood here this morning and you recognize that there is something you need to let go of, whether it's a past glory or a past pain, if you'll just make that known to the Lord in the quiet, you don't need to do anything spectacular. Just say, Lord, I know this is me. Whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. Lord, help us to have hearts that are expectant and hopeful. Fill us afresh with your Holy Spirit. Make us new, we pray. And point us forward towards you. Lift our eyes to all that you are doing, all that you will do. Give us excitement and hope for all that is to come. Because we declare in this place that we remain confident of this. We will see the goodness of the Lord in the lands of the living. Holy Spirit, come alive in us, we pray. Come afresh in us, we pray. Come meet with us.